Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Some of you would know the American rapper called Post Malone. Very unusual fellow. And in your car, you might be rocking to the beat of Post Malone. But recently, he tattooed two words under each of his eyes. So the one said always, and the other one said tired. So his fans asked the question, is he suffering from insomnia? Well, apparently not. When they interviewed him on radio and asked him, why did you do this? What was the reason for it? He said, well, I couldn't put always money underneath. You know, I couldn't put uh, uh, always drinking underneath. So he says here, I try to do something that's relatively the same length of letters. But I guess always is more letters than tired. But I was so tired I didn't realize it. (laughs) Then they said to him, well, you've got other tattoos. Why did you start tattooing your face? He said, well, I'd do anything to annoy my mother. People rightly ask. What are you thinking? Well, clearly he's not thinking. Clearly many people don't think anymore. We do stuff emotionally, not rationally anymore. We're highly emotive the way we live our lives, and sometimes the consequences are permanent. I was reading about this other young woman, just 26, Jessica Nordquist. By all appearances, a lovely, normal person but uh, she's about to be sentenced to prison because after dating a man for only three months, he broke up with her, obviously realized this is not working out, and uh, she began a prolonged and vicious campaign of sending threatening emails to him from false accounts. Not satisfied with that, she went on Amazon.com and bought a fake rubber belly and then proceeded to tell him that she was pregnant and accused him of rape. All this to win him back. What was she thinking? Clearly she wasn't. And like most people, they don't think that the things they're doing will lead to the things that they do. But we need to be thinking people. We need to be more rational than emotive. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that over the last century, we've had a massive paradigm shift. We no longer focus on being good. We now focus on feeling good. And we've moved away from thinking to feeling. A man by the name of uh, Joshua Halbertstam wrote a book called Everyday Ethics. And he says, we spend much more time tending to the quality of our emotional lives than to the quality of our moral lives. I wonder where you're at today. Are you a thinking person? I believe God's calling us to be thinkers but certain kinds of thinkers. Here's the truth, church. Your life will be determined by the quality of your decisions. Not by chance, not by government, not by your family or your friends, not by fate, the quality of your decisions. And the quality of your decisions are determined by the quality of your thinking. Because what you think is what you decide, and that's where you end up. Isn't that true? And so we need to be people who think, and I want to continue today, the third in our series, create a new year through new thinking. Create a new year through new thinking. The new year needn't be a mystery. You can create the kind of year you want by thinking correctly, by thinking the way Jesus thinks, which we've been 
looking at over the last two weeks. Our foundation scripture this morning is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and it says this in the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning God created. How many of God is a creator? It says he created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1 tells us he created animals, then he created man. Most people don't believe in creation, but you need to know you were created. You're not an accident. God created you. Then Genesis chapter 5 summarizes it. And it's telling us everything of the first few chapters. And it says now again, when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. In other words, we are like God, except we're fallen creatures, but we have the ability to create. Have you noticed? Animals can't paint paintings. They just can't. They don't sit and look at the sunset and go, oh, I need to, I need to paint that. No, they can't do it. We are created in the image of God to create. Are you with me? So we don't just live in the world and consume and use up. We're meant to contribute. You're meant to create a family, create a life. Most people who are Christians want to leave their life to God. It's your responsibility. No, it's not a parent's responsibility to make you an adult. They, they get you going. They, then you live and you make decisions. Are you with me? A little wrong idea of Christianity. But we're created in his image to create. And then it says here, it summarizes again. It says, he created them male and female and blessed them. Why male and female? He wasn't thinking pleasure. He wasn't thinking gender expression. He was thinking create. Males and females create other people. We've so lost sight of purpose that we focus only on the pleasure and how we feel. And God says, no, get back to purpose. We'll have a better world. The world is in a mess because of wrong thinking, not wrong politics. It's our thinking that determines where we end up. Are you with me? And so we need to be creators. We need to develop our world. And in order to develop and create in our world, how many of you know you first have to create your inner world? Then when you've created your inner world, then your outer world finds expression. Everything in the world started with a thought. When God created the heavens and the earth, it came out of his wisdom and his thoughts. When God created male and female, it came from the thoughts of God. And so we need to create our inner world through right thinking. And it's the responsibility of every human being. Brian Tracy is a leadership author, and he said this. He said, the biggest challenge and your greatest responsibility are to create within yourself the mental equivalent of what you want to experience on the outside. You will never see on the outside that which you didn't first create on the inside. So your thinking is vitally important. And the Bible tells us that our thinking is our responsibility. Romans chapter 12, let me remind you of it this morning. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, this world's thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God saves us. You read the book of Romans 1 to 12. Salvation is by grace, not by works. But then chapters 12 through to 16, you renew your mind, and through renewed mind, you have relationships in the world. It's not God's responsibility. It's up to you. Are you with me this morning? And the way you think will determine your happiness. You want to be happy? Think happy. Don't wait until you get that car or that person. If I could have a person, if I could have this much money, it's never going to be ideal. What happens if war breaks out? 
we'll all be miserable. Wish this war would be over. No, we're gonna have to be positive that we can win. Your happiness, your destination where you end up in life, your success, your relationships, and your income are all determined by your thinking. I love what these two people said. The first one is Marcus Aurelius, the great Roman. He said, very little is needed to make a happy life. It is all within yourself, in your way of thinking. If you decide to be happy, you'll be happy. People often talk to me, they say to me, so wonderful, Pastor, you're so positive, you know, and you just keep, you and Pastor Wilma just keep going. It's like we're these special people born in a special place with a special mind. How blessed are we? Hey, if I was born a special person, how can I teach you if you weren't born special? We all have the opportunity to be happy if we change our thinking. The great president, Abraham Lincoln, said this. He said, most people are as happy as they make up their minds to be. Hmm? Have you made up your mind to be happy? Your thinking can create 2019. How you think will determine where you end up. And guess what? If your circumstances are bad, don't be angry and and, and, and full of hatred and animosity so that the circumstances must change so that I can be happy. No, your thinking can make bad circumstances actually good. There's an amazing book called The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol, and he tells a story of these men who were sleeping in a room. Listen to this. Listen carefully. He says, during the night, one of the men complained of lack of air. And upon arising, he groped through the dark to what he thought was the window. He couldn't open it, and after finding a shoe, knocked out the pane of glass. They then slept comfortably for the rest of the night, only to discover at dawn that the window was still intact. What had been smashed was the glass door to a cupboard. See, you think of your circumstances. That's why I wrote a book called Success Despite Circumstances, because your thinking can elevate you above the circumstances. Have you noticed the whole world, the whole world is in protest mode about everything. Everyone's angry. Why? Because they want a better set of circumstances instead of having better thinking. Brian Tracy talks a lot about money and finance and business. And recently I was reading one of his books and he talks about the amount of millionaires that there are in America. He says in 1960, there were only 700,000 millionaires. By 1980, 20 years later, they'd gone up to 1.8 million millionaires. But in the last, just the last couple of years, it's now risen to 5 million millionaires. So they did a study to see what is the reason for them what, for so many millions, is it the system? Is it the politics that's, that's created this opportunity? And they discovered something interesting. All these people are vastly different. They're different races. They're different ages. Some are highly educated, some have no education. And they became millionaires. Some are old, some are young. Some are able, some are disabled, even in wheelchairs. Some have full sight, some have partial sight. So they've said, what is the common denominator? Was it, was it the political system? Was there something that each one of these people had? Yep, they discovered what it was. They all thought a certain way about their future and their lives. 
See, we've got to get it right in the inner world before the outer world changes. And some of us are so focused on the outer world, that's why we're disillusioned and we're angry. Success is a way of thinking. Accomplishment starts in your thoughts. In the book of Nehemiah, they took the rubble and the dirt and the broken down city and they built the wall. And the Bible says this in Nehemiah chapter four. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. You accomplish things in your life when your thinking is set and clear and is a certain way. Now last week I mentioned that John Maxwell had written a book called How Successful People Think. Fascinating booklet, read it many years ago, read it probably about five times, and he categorizes how successful people think. A whole lot of categories, and I read them, some of them I thought were great, some of them I thought, you know, in terms of his, his business and so on, but I thought from a Christian point of view, how did Jesus think? And the, the points I shared with you last week, let's just recap them, because he mentions them, but I put different content under them. Big picture thinking. Jesus had big picture thinking. He thought about the cross and salvation, not just his earthly comfort. Possibility thinking. He had faith. He saw the possibilities. He had realistic thinking, strategic thinking, reflective thinking. Jesus taught us to reflect and to think. The Psalms tell us, sealer, think on this. He also had popular thinking. He knew what people were thinking at the time, even though he was governed, not governed by it. Isn't that true? He knew what people were thinking at the time, but wasn't governed by it. I mentioned last weekend that there's two things on the top of tall buildings, a weather vane and a clock. You need to know which way the wind's blowing, but you don't, you're not blown by the wind. You're governed by the inner clock of truth. No matter what, whether it's raining or the sun shining, you give the same consistent time and truth. Jesus knew popular thinking. He said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And so there were six types. I had hoped to give six types today, but I can tell you from the first service, we managed three. So let's look at three types in addition to those six. And remember, Jesus thought like this. Number one, the first kind of thinking we need to create so that we can have a great year is unselfish thinking. Jesus had unselfish thinking. He always thought about others. If you think me, my, myself, guess what? Success will elude you. Can I remind you, you might see people who've been involved in fraud and corruption and theft and it seems like they're rich. It doesn't last. It's not lasting success. It's short-term. The chickens always come home to roost. If you want lasting success, you've got to think of others, whether you're in business, whether you're in politics. The reason Rivers Church has grown is not because I'm an amazingly gifted person. We've just put others first. When it comes to parking, we've put others first. We've tried to provide. When it comes to children, we've tried to put them first. When it comes to youth, we subsidize the camps. When it comes to the people in the congregation, we put up big screens. Why? Not to be impressive, but to serve you because we think of others. There's a very good book called People Over Profit by Dale Partridge. And in the book, he tells the story of the famous Walmart stores started in America in, the, in 1960 by a man called Sam Walton. The first store opened up in 1962, and it was an amazing thing. There were low prices, friendly service, and one of the hallmarks was integrity. The products were good, 
and Sam Walton did extremely well. He also, as a man, had strong core values, Sam Walton, and he would regularly meet with his staff and train them. Here are a couple of the core values he had. Respect for the individual, service to customers, striving for excellence. Then when it came to his own staff, he paid more than minimum wage. Then he demanded five-star treatment of customers, and he told all his staff, you look the customer in the eye and you smile. Well, Forbes magazine, decades later, named Sam Walton as the richest man in America from that one store because he had unselfish thinking. And Forbes magazine, listen to this, they valued him at $45 billion. Now, let me bring that into rands. In rands, that is 630 billion rand. Do you know how much 630 billion rand is? You can build six nuclear reactors in South Africa with a cash of 630 billion. One man, one store, unselfish thinking. Sadly, the book tells us that in 1992, Sam Walton died, and it was taken over by other people. And this is what they began to do. They began to put profit over people. Today it's poorly run, understaffed, you get the lowest pay, they put other stores out of business when they move into an area, and uh, by the early 2000s, Walmart was listed as one of America's most hated companies. You see, you think it's going to be the shortcut. We pay low wages and everyone does that, and you know, they must just suck it up. You, in, the, in the long run, selfish thinking doesn't pay. It doesn't give success. It's faulty thinking. Jesus was unselfish. He's taught us to be unselfish. Give and it will be given unto you. It doesn't say in the Bible, take and you will accumulate. Does it? See, the problem with us, we've become so selfish we don't even know it. People talk like this, but I deserve a better salary. Not if you don't work for it. I don't deserve people if I don't earn it. Hmm? We can't go out into the street and block the traffic. We deserve to be full. You can't just drive past. They'll laugh at you. But you know the word deserve is very interesting. It comes from the Latin. D means from and severe means to serve. So guess what? If you want to deserve something, it comes from service. We've got to get our thinking. No service, no deserve. Can't just occupy a space in a shop. Can you help me? Not now, I'm on tea. Because <laughs> I deserve. No, we've, got, we've gone bizarre. And listen, it's not a South African problem, it's a world problem. Travel the world, I get to travel a lot. Travel the world and you see this creeping in. I want to tell you this, let me tell you this this morning. It's an important truth. Maybe you need to write it down. Life owes you nothing. And I'll tell you what as well. You want to be unhappy, keep thinking you deserve something that you haven't earned or worked for. You hear me today? And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are going, he's targeting us. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, you see, I knew it. Because you don't think. Think about this. Don't think poor. Don't think background. Don't think South Africa history. Think rich people. Their kids believe they deserve more than they get and they're the most unhappy children you can find. 
The parents are rich. They buy them a brand new golf out of the box to drive to university. I'm not driving a golf. I want mom's Mercedes. Am I helping you here? See, we keep bringing things to one context. You go, can I tell you something? You need bigger thinking. Then you will grow as a person. The more you keep bringing it to you and one context, the more you'll never break out of the stuff. And you'll always be unhappy because you'll keep telling yourself you deserve more. There is no government in the world that can give its citizens what they want. It all starts in you. Sam Walton said this, and it'd be good for us to remember. He said, there's only one boss, the customer, and he can fire everybody in the company from the chairman on down simply by spending his money somewhere else. You see, we've become selfish, church. You know, interesting, the Bible talks about the self. The Bible doesn't talk, say that you should follow the self. It says you should watch out for self because self tells you lies. I hear people saying this, I've got to be me, you know. Oh, please don't. Because <laughs> if you you, disaster comes. I hear people in, in their marriages, I've just got to be true to me, you know. I'm not happy here. Come to my office. I don't need long. I just need to slap you twice. Because <laughs> you're not thinking. You're not thinking. It's not about you. Once you get married, it's not about you. Once children come along, it's not about you. Those of you that are, you're very unhappy because you've got two, three-year-olds and you've got no time, swallow hard and persevere. <laughs> and tell yourself, this will come to an end one day. But it's all about me. You know why? Because we've made our emotions our focus. And selfish means me. We've reinterpreted our whole world. I mean, just, no, you've got to be a better you. I've got to be a better me. You don't want to know me. Can you say amen? Number two. You're still good in this Methodist church this morning? You're breathing. They went very quiet in the first service. Certain points, but you've been great. You've been amazingly responsive. So number two, the second most important thing today is biblical thinking. Jesus had biblical thinking. Not just unselfish thinking, biblical thinking. He often quoted scripture as reference. He referenced Genesis, the people in Genesis as though they were real people. He spoke of the world as being created. So Jesus had biblical thinking. We need to have biblical thinking. What does the Bible say about who I am, where I've come from, where I'm going, how I should live? Not my feelings. We need self-control, church. And we become highly emotional instead of highly biblical. Are you with me? Today, you ask anyone what's right and wrong, they'll tell you this, I feel it's not wrong to if. We've made right wrong and wrong right. And Isaiah warned us of this. Isaiah chapter five and verse 20, he warned us then and he's warning us today, the danger. He says, what's sorrow? Some translations say, whoa, what sorrow, what heartache for those who say evil is good and good is evil. 
Dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for, the, for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. Do you know, what we're really saying is the world's upside down. How does the world get upside down? Faulty thinking. See, the disciples went out and preached. Do you remember this? In the book of Acts, Paul and Silas went to Greece and they began to preach. And you know what they said about them? Read this with me on the screen. It says in Acts chapter 17, verse six, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Why did they turn the world upside down with their preaching? Let me demonstrate it for you. Notice here, I have a glass jug. Most of you would agree that this is right side up and that this is upside down. Well, when they came and preached the gospel in the book of Acts, it said they turned the world upside down. Well, this is what they did. It was so upside down that when they preached the gospel, they turned the, the world upside down, which made it right side up. People complain about biblical thinking. Now, biblical thinking turns it upside down because it's upside down already. You've got to get it right side up. We can't call wrong right and right wrong. Hmm? Many of you would have read this book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. It was on the bestseller list for 134 weeks. And they sold two million copies. And the subtitle of the book is How to Think Without Thinking. How to make snap decisions and not think things through. How to go with your gut. So this is what I do whenever I come across a book, and I've read all these books, is I ask myself, who is this person before I swallow all this stuff? Because doesn't matter if everybody's reading it. Who is he? What does he think about life? And I discovered he has a certain point of view about Lance Armstrong, the man who used drugs to win five times the Tour de France and was stripped of his titles. And I discovered that he thinks Lance Armstrong is an amazing man. He says, when you look at what Lance is alleged to have done, it's a political word they use, Basically, he was better than everyone else at using performance-enhancing drugs. He was the guy who sat down and was rigorous and focused and thoughtful and intelligent and cutting edge in how to use them and apply them and make himself better. Like, I don't know, so is that a bad thing? <laughs> Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm. <laughs> and the two million who run after you. You might be a bestseller, but you've got faulty thinking because it's not biblical. You see, when you go away from biblical thinking, everything becomes right. And that's where we are. And we're too embarrassed to say what's right. We're so far from biblical thinking that bad is now good. But the Bible tells me what's truly good. You know, it's a very interesting thing. You talk to people today, they'll tell you they're good. Hmm? Self-esteem movement has told us you are good. No, 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 you're not, all, you're not always good. When you're bad, we need to tell you. See, Jesus said this. He said in Luke's gospel, when you've been a servant who served your master, like in a job, and you did, and you brought him water, and you came when he wanted you to do, he says, we are only unworthy servants. Don't blow yourself out of proportion because you give your boss what he pays you for. You're not that good. 
And a rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, good teacher. Jesus said, whoa, whoa, there's no one good but God. Now we don't walk around with a guilt complex. I'm no good, beat me. I'm just a sinner. No, there's a balance. The Bible says in the book of Romans that you need to think with a renewed mind, not more highly of yourself than you ought to, but with sober judgment. Biblical thinking about right and wrong and about who we are. Are you with me? In a book, Thinking Like Jesus, by Dr. Ray Garoundi, he says people were asked how likely they were to go to heaven. 97% said they were on their way to heaven, and when asked why, they said, I'm a good person. By whose standards? I've discovered as a Christian, you don't get to heaven by being a good person. You get to heaven by being a child of God, by knowing Jesus, and then walking with him in harmony. Isn't that true? Harry Blamires wrote a good book called The Christian Mind, and he makes this declaration, which is applicable to us in our world. Are you all still with me? But he says there is no longer a Christian mind, but a Christian ethic and a Christian spirituality. So we don't think anymore. He says there's this kind of like ethics we've written down, and there's like a kind of a spirituality experience. He says, as a thinking being, the modern Christian has succumbed to secularization. We got into the habit of stepping out of our Christian garments whenever we stepped mentally into the field of social and political life. Because the subject was social or political, watch this, we left all our well-tried and well-grounded Christian concepts behind us and adopted the vocabulary of secularism. We put aside all talk of vocation, that's the call of God, or God's providence, his provision, or man's spiritual destiny, and instead we chatted with the rest about productivity, assembly line psychology, and the deployment of personnel. We no longer think biblically. We think mostly politically, secularly, and emotionally. And just like the first service, it's gone incredibly quiet <laughs> in the room. You see, to think biblically is to think eternal and temporal, good and evil, God and man, now and the future, right and wrong. It's not just to think on one plane. Hmm? We, we no longer know what sin is. You dare tell someone they're a sinner. Oh, my word. No, the new sin is this, judge not. That's one verse taken out of context in the book of Matthew. No, the Bible tells you all along. It tells you in New Testament all the time. Judge. Are you not wise enough to judge? Judge those. Drive that person out. Discipline them in church. See, we, 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 we've randomly selected what we think is right and wrong. But all of creation came out of the thoughts of God. And we've got to get God's thoughts if we're going to create a sound world. Does that make sense? But we don't like that. We, we, we use words like, instead of sin, we, we say, that, uh, th that's inappropriate behavior. Now, in Hollywood... One of the directors, he slept with actresses and they called it inappropriate. Why is it inappropriate if you spend your life acting and making movies where sexuality is sleeping with one person after another and tearing their clothes off? Then suddenly when you behave like this in real life, it's inappropriate. Sorry, can, can you help me here? I can't seem to make the logic of it. It's because it's no longer defined what sexual sin is. So we'll call something inappropriate. We'll call something, uh, we made a mistake. 
Or we'll say this, it's unacceptable. What I've discovered with unacceptable at my age is that every five years, unacceptable changes. What was unacceptable 20 years ago is totally acceptable today, even defended. They say the next sexual revolution, hear me today, thus saith the Lord, is gonna be removing from children the protection they have not having sex with adults. That's the next step. Pedophilia, they're saying, is a natural progression of sexual behavior and should be allowed. You're scandalized. In 20 years' time, it'll be the new normal. God help you if you go on Twitter and say anything. Marriage between two same-sex people, there's nothing anymore. It's going to be three people. Two men, one woman. Two women, one man. Three women. Two women and a dog. No, it's, it's already happened. No. People are marrying bridges. It's happening, people, because when you remove biblical thinking, you remove everything. We need to think. We think we're cleverer than God. And we redefine everything. Politicians, they, they, mistakes were made. No, you sinned. You stole people's money. Their tax-paying money that should go to the, you stole it. You didn't make a mistake. Call it what it is. Hmm? Imagine you go to the Catholic church and you walk into the, Come on, give God praise this morning. You know, I'm telling the truth, eh? Imagine you go to the Catholic church and you walk into that little box and you kneel down and you say, bless me, Father, for I've been a bit misguided. You're like, what? No, you kneel down and you say, bless me, Father, for I have. I've transgressed. My sinful nature has taken me where I know you don't want me to go. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, and help me to think again the way you think. Biblical thinking. Bishop Fulton Sheen is a great preacher, was a great preacher, passed away way back in 1979. I've read most of his books and find him incredibly inspiring. He had a radio program in America. And I want to quote to you what he said here. Look on the screen with me. He says, moral principles don't depend on majority vote. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody's wrong. Right is right, even if nobody's right. Too many people get credit for being good when they're only being passive. They are too often praised for being broad-minded when they're so broad-minded they can never make up their minds about anything. There's no word more dangerous than liberalism because to oppose it is the new unforgivable sin. He said this in the 70s. America, it is said, is suffering from intolerance. It is not. It is suffering from tolerance. Tolerance of right and wrong, truth and error, virtue and evil, Christ and chaos. There is no other subject on which the average mind is so much confused as the subject of tolerance and intolerance. Tolerance applies only to persons, but never to principles. Intolerance applies only to principles, never to persons. See, what they're telling us to do in the world today is we must tolerate people's value system and their bad behavior. I'll tolerate your bad behavior and your bad choices, but I won't tolerate you twisting the truth and telling me to twist it. Any of you in engineering or carpentry, you'll know there's something called tolerances. 
we're dealing with mechanical engines and parts, there's only a little bit of room for maneuver between parts because they've got to be built to exact specifications if they're going to work. But we think we can make society work by being super, super tolerant. It doesn't work. And it's not, listen, I know what you're thinking. I told you twice already, I know what you're thinking. Let me tell you again. You're thinking today that this is just a point of view or perspective. No, a, when you don't know truth and you don't think biblically, you know what happens? You start to think wrong is right and then you pay the consequences for it. Let me, let me illustrate it for you. I was reading about this couple. They live together. She's had a child. Her name's Jaron Hare and he's Charles Darnell and they own a pet python called Gypsy. They put this python in a cage and they put a quilt over the top. Well, this Gypsy wandered out as gypsies do, and wrapped itself around his two-year-old daughter, killing her. The animal experts who examined the snake and the child said that the animal hadn't been fed in a month, and that it was super hungry, that's why it decided to try and eat the, the, the child, the, the, the weight, it was underweight. Well, the couple were arrested, and this is what their lawyer said, no, you can't convict them of manslaughter or first-degree murder, the snake's always been docile, and they know the snake. They do. Well, they were arrested. They were convicted of third-degree murder, manslaughter, and child neglect. They've both been sent to prison for 12 years. Their opinion of what a snake is was wrong, and it cost their daughter's life. Do you know some people don't even believe there's a devil? Oh, he's like Father Christmas, eh? Your parents just made him up to scare you. No, the Bible tells me there's an evil one, the serpent in the garden. It tells me why we're fallen. But we can reinterpret all this stuff. Your thinking will determine how you live, where you end up, whether you're happy, sad, successful, or prosperous. It's not to do with politics. It's not to do with systems. It's all to do with your head. Unselfish thinking, biblical thinking, number three. Are you with me? And I have to do this quick. Disciplined thinking. Not every thought that comes into your head is from God. That's why you shouldn't open your mouth before you think. Are you with me? Vance Havner was a pastor and he said this, our defeat or victory begins with what we think. And if we guard our thoughts, we shall not have much trouble anywhere else along the line. The apostle Paul said to Corinthians 10, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning as opposed to biblical reasoning and to destroy false arguments, things that are wrong about how we think about life and God. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. I love this. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Oswald Sanders said this. He said, the mind of man is the battleground on which every moral and spiritual battle is fought. You've got to be careful what goes into your head. You know, just like you, you wouldn't just open the front door to a stranger and say, hi, what do you want? Come in. No, you don't entertain everyone who knocks. Because if you do, they make their home there. There needs to be a filter. Hang on a minute. Is this in line with biblical thinking? Is this unselfish thinking? Is this possibility thinking? You've got to have a filter. 
Otherwise, you'll end up totally undisciplined and the whole of your life will be ruined. Everything starts with a thought. Do you realize that? Everything starts with a thought. And we don't realize it. We are undisciplined and then we want the government to fix everything on our behalf. I'm nearly done. Let me tell you about John Adams. He was a man alive during 1798 and was involved in the formation of America. And he wrote a letter which is still around, to the militia, the army of Massachusetts, and he identifies the sole conditions under which governments can survive and prosper. He's trying to help people think about the government correctly. And he says this, we have no government capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He's basically saying if you're undisciplined, no government can help control that. It needs already disciplined people to which it can lead to bring about an end. But if not, it'll be like a whale going through a net and will be powerless because that's how evil does. And, and you know what I hear people call, People use this term all the time, especially millennials. Injustice. 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 No, no, no. Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. You can't get justice if your thinking is not just. It's like the pot calling the kettle black. Look what Maxwell Maltz said, and then I'm gonna pray with you in a moment. Look at this quote by Maxwell Maltz. He spoke about justice, and the visual team is not thinking. There we go. (laughs) So look at this quote by Maxwell Maltz. He says, if you intend to insist on justice in order to live a successful and happy life, you will not do so in this lifetime on this planet. This is not a South African, this is an American telling you that your rights and that all that you're expecting from someone comes from a disciplined mind, an unselfish mind, a biblical mind. That's how you become happy. And when your soul and your mind have been taken and renewed, then everything in your outer world is created. Am I making sense this morning? Let me read you one last quote that I'm gonna pray with you. I've taken up all the time I have and I need to stop. So, Bishop Fulton Shun, you will, you will agree with us this morning. I know you will, because I know you. <laughs> How many of you have been helped today? Quickly. Unless souls are saved, nothing is saved. There can be no world peace unless there is soul peace. World wars are only projections of the conflicts waged inside the souls of men and women. For nothing happens in the external world that has not first happened within a soul. Many souls fail to find God because they want a religion which will remake society without remaking them. You agree? I told you you would. The question I want to ask you is that is your soul saved? Because we're looking so externally. Let's change our thinking. Let's give our hearts and minds to him. Let's trust in the Savior. Because you know, when you think about God differently, your eternal destiny changes. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 